Hello, everyone. Everybody can hear me? Okay, very good. Good crowd. Um, thanks for coming. Um, let's see. We're going to talk about accelerating next generation of healthcare business on AWS. I think a lot of you guys are probably interested in that. Um, just quick show of hand before I get started. How many here are uh, in healthcare domain? Oh, good. I see a few of you who are not. You're probably in the wrong session then. No, no, no. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that there'll be bits and pieces here that everybody will benefit from. If not, the, you know, you should have read the title. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> okay, so to get started, um, I'm Fred Romanian. I'm Chief Technology Officer with Genia, and I'll talk about what Genia is and what we do. And here we have uh, Raja Raghunathan, and uh, he is VP and Global Head of um, Cloud Services at Cognizant. They were our partner in our journey into AWS. Um, so as for me, um, I've been in healthcare for um, almost 15 years. Prior to that, I had another 10, 10 years of experience in other domains. Uh, my background is in software architecture and software development, and then last 10 years in, in data science and analytics. And prior to Genia, I was with IBM Watson Health. Um, and prior to that, I was with KPMG and Siemens for many years. Um, I'm going to let Raja go ahead and introduce himself. Thanks, Fred. Um, Raja Ranganathan, I'm the Vice President for uh, Cognizant Cloud Services. My responsibility includes cloud uh, uh, service management automation. Uh, so with that said, uh, what to expect from this session? So how, how the healthcare industry is adopting cloud? I think uh, that is pretty interesting the statistics we have. Um, and also we'll see how Genia as a company, I mean, what Genia does and how cloud play a vital role for them. And their, 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 their AWS journey, I think their cloud journey, what, where they are today and what their plans, you know, the future of Genia and what, what value we as a system integrator, we provided to, to Genia and Fred and his team towards, you know, fulfilling the, the, the cloud, uh, you know, objectives. So with that said, if you look at the healthcare cloud adoption, it is going to be triple by, you know, by, by 2020. You know, it's like the 3.73 billion dollar market. I think that's going to be, you know, close to 9.510 by 2020. It is, it is simply, it is, uh, you know, uh, the, based on, uh, you know, the, the rise of the payers and, uh, you know, the providers, uh, the patients, and the cost efficiency and the access which, which they wanted as part of the ecosystem. But why do they move? Why are they moving to cloud? Okay, what is making them to move to cloud? While the disruption is happening in the market, but if you look at the, the, the fundamental business goals, I think you know, if you look at all the analyst reports, etc., it is the digital that is causing a major push towards you know to the cloud. Of course, it comes with you know improved member or or patient satisfaction or customer satisfaction, and they all wanted an affordable care given at a pretty low cost. With, I mean, along with that, they also want to keep on innovating and then, you know, coming out with different types of service offerings. That is where the faster time to market, okay, so faster time to implement, faster time to market. And along with that, one of the key big thing is they are a regulated industry, so definitely they, they're looking for both data privacy and, uh, you know, the governance. So if one has to map the business goals into the IT goals, you know, ideally if you look at, you know, they're looking for high availability and performance, agility, I mean, economies of scale and cost, okay? And 
we're also seeing a trend i think if amongst the especially in the healthcare companies i think if you look at healthcare it's a if you look at the payer and the provider i think it's a, it's a highly tech savvy tech savvy industry um, of course legacy continues to exist but with all this disruption that is happening we are looking for more of a, instead of a capex i think more moving towards an opex like an utility or a consume it or as a service you know type of a model so that is where the business goals and the it goals have been mapped so with that said you know how genia was able to uh, you know map this business goal towards the it goals as you see here and how they adopted the journey so i'll go over to fred thank you very much Okay, so um, let's talk about Genia first. Um, Genia is a uh, an advanced clinical analytic um, company based in Pennsylvania. Um, we are um, our goal is to improve um, the cost of care. I'm sorry, the improve the cost of care and quality. But in addition to that, do something that you don't hear these days, which is uh, restore the joy of medicine. Clinicians these days, because of all the regulations that have come out, have to do more and more work that is not related to the patient. So our goal is to assist them with that. So we work with uh, uh, the employer groups, we work with payers and providers, and we provide the analytic system that they need in order to, to navigate the, the transformation that we're seeing in, in healthcare, especially with the transformation into the value-based um, care. And, we, um, and we're kind of like a startup. We're a company of about um, 200 people, uh, I guess it'd be a pretty big startup, but the nice thing about us is we're actually backed by a, a, a major blue in, in central Pennsylvania. We are um, wholly owned by Capital Blue Cross in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which makes it pretty, pretty good for us. We run, we're run as a startup, but we have the funding that we need to do what we feel is the right thing to do. Um, and we have about, right now, service about one million uh, members in our system, so and that's that will grow very quickly in the next few months. We expect, and of course, we in addition to that, we also have a a group of clinicians, uh, physicians, nurses that um, help us uh, with the with the population health part of our product. Um, so we're a fairly large group of both technicians and clinicians. Um, so having said that, our product, um, these are some, just some of the names of our product. We're not going to concentrate too much on this uh, because it's really not about the products, individual products. But we have products that uh, target the, the provider market, target the employer group, um, self-insured organizations, as well as um, payers. And it helps them understand where the expenditure is and how is what's the best way to manage their patient population. And we do this by essentially creating what we call a 360-degree view of, of the patients. Um, so this is, you know, I always say every, every good slide deck in, in any technical conference should have at least one architecture slide. So this is mine. Uh, this is the only one you'll see here. Um, so th this, this is essentially shows you um, from a 10,000-foot view of what our architecture looks like. And it's fairly standard. You know, we have the multi-tier uh, architecture. But this, more importantly, what, what, what I want to emphasize here, we receive data from various sources, um, clinical, administrative, um, financial claims. In addition to that, we also receive what, what I call exogenous data, like Fitbit data, any data related about any, any of our members. And... Um, 
and then we bring that into an integration engine and we put it through our, our some processing and it goes through what we call a, a product we have called Care Modeler. And Care Modeler is one of those faceless products. It doesn't actually have a face by itself. It, behind the scene what it does is it extracts insight out of this data and then presents it in the care data fabric, in which case the, uh, then the, uh, the online applications, the care optimizer, care engager, and care collaborator can actually present that to the users. And I won't go into all the detail that each one of, what each one of those do. Suffice it to say that they're very complete and it shows on this list some of the things that they do um, to help us achieve uh, what I said earlier. Um, so uh, one thing I want to point out here uh, the interesting thing about this is, you notice I said we're trying to create a longitudinal view of, of not just patients, members, and people, because in order we also are we are also interested in understanding what keeps the healthy patients healthy. So we're so we're, we capture all the data that we can get our hands on, not just patient-related data. Um, so um, some of the um, pain points. This is essentially. Um, it's more about why did we decide to go into the cloud, not just necessarily even AWS, just why did we decide to go from on-premise into a cloud environment. Um, so number one was, uh, you know, as a um, startup, we wanted to have, we wanted to be faster to the market, and uh, essentially, you know, the, the old thing about Agile, we wanted to fail fast and recover from that, or get to market as soon as possible, as soon as we come up with a new idea. Now, at the same time, we have to deal with patient data. And that's, you know, Spider-Man once said, with great, with great power comes great responsibility. So having all of our members' data, we have to be very responsible about how we manage this data. So we have to ensure whatever cloud vendor we use, we have to ensure that uh, we could sufficiently safeguard that data and make sure um, that it was safe. And also, at the same time, we wanted to, we, we knew out the door, we wanted to be HIPAA compliant, and also, and currently, we're going through a SOC 2 audit. We wanted to make sure we also comply with SOC 2 standards. Um, and then the, um, we wanted to be able to onboard new customers quickly. And I think any of you guys probably know um, the sales life cycle in, in healthcare is very lengthy. I mean, it sometimes takes six months, a year. 18 months is not unheard of for a sale to go through. So what, you know, given that, we, uh, we said, well, we don't want the implementation phase to take that long. So we wanted to be able to onboard new customers very quickly. And of course, that meant that we'll probably uh, need to be in a cloud environment. And, um, you know, of course, we do all of that stuff while maintaining a fairly low cost structure for us. As a startup, cost is obviously very important to us. Um, So why did we choose AWS? And I think most of you guys, by the sheer fact that you're here, this probably is fairly clear, but I just want to point some things out. Um, in terms of scalability for future growth, it, it, uh, you know, provisioning new environment, new services for us was you know, uh, quite important, and we, we saw quickly that we could do that in AWS. Um, one other thing about HIPAA compliance is a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, think about security, access, encryption, address, encryption and transit. Those are all fine. But the, probably the most important aspect of HIPAA compliance is logging and audits, uh, being able to um, log every activity and uh, create an audit trail 
is, is very important because in case of a breach, um, one of the first things you have to do is you have to identify who saw what when, um, and that's very important. So we, we had to go with, uh, with an environment that allowed us to have full audit log, produce full audit logs and keep track of all the activities. Um, and then time to market, I think that goes without saying at this point. It, it, you know, it, it was uh, provisioning is one of those things that we could do very quickly in AWS. And uh, to me, the most important thing was the um, the innovation and pace of introduction of new services. Uh, you know, uh, AWS in the past few years has clearly outpaced um, other competitors in terms of introducing new services. Um, and uh, new products. Uh, some of the ones that we're interested in, um, for instance, is the um, database technology and EMR and RDS and Lambda and all of those guys. Um, at pace that they're coming out, it's, it's uh, quite interesting for us. And uh, we'd like to be able to take advantage of all of those. Um, and of course, the partner ecosystem and the marketplace. You know, it's, it's apparent we, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to accomplish what we did without help of Cognizant as our partner. Um, so that's very apparent. Um, that's actually an important point. And the marketplace um, is actually quite interesting for, for a CTO. Um, you know, I have to go through the pain of budgeting every year, uh, and I'm hoping that I know my uh, finance guy is not here, and hopefully he never sees this video. But, um, you know, when we budget, it used to be that I always have to have a budget cost center for the software licenses, and mid-year we find out, oh, my God, I need a new license for something else. And, okay, let's go fill out a budget variance form and then go through my finance guy, explain to him why I needed this, why didn't I think of that in the budget, all that stuff. Well, now what I do is I just have a, put it in my AWS budget, and then I'll go to Marketplace and I'll just get the license in the Marketplace. So, you know, we had a need to use LoadRunner the other day, and instead of me going to buy purchase additional licenses, I just went and provisioned a server that had LoadRunner on it already, and I, he didn't know. And he didn't care. And it all came out the AWS budget. So those are all really major advantages. I mean, when you really think about it, it saved me a lot of time and grief. And uh, the nice thing is also, um, I think a lot of you probably know this, as AWS um, comes up with new efficiencies, they actually pass that into the cost, pass that cost reduction to the customers, which is very good. So we were able to achieve by selecting AWS, I think, um, uh, you know, 30% faster new product. Now, don't hold me to that. It may be 25 or maybe 35, but somewhere around that. Um, and and uh, customer onboarding has been much faster. I know that for a fact because, you know, we had one customer who says, well, I, I want to I have a replicated environment just like what I have, but I want to have it twice. Fine. Okay. We can do that for you. Um, in an on-premise environment, I would have never been able to satisfy that. Um, of course, the, about 40% cost saving, again, don't hold me to that, somewhere around there. And the operation is much more simplified. I have, um, in addition to the help we have from our partners from Cognizant, I have two um, AWS professionals on the team that, manages all of our, that manage all of our servers, which is quite good when you consider an on-premise environment with the IT infrastructure that we had in place. And, of course, scalable and agile infrastructure is, goes without saying again. Um, so this is our journey, and everybody knows, you know, this is, uh, we call it a journey because it's, it's like a journey when you think about it. Um, so in uh, Q4 2014, um, we... Um, we came up with the cloud strategy and migration plan 
And, um, uh, and we used Cognizant at that time. And I think just a little bit of context there. You know, we knew um, we had decided at that time we wanted to go into cloud. Uh, we knew all the efficiencies we would gain from that. And uh, we kind of knew at that point that we wanted to go AWS. But then beyond that, we were, we were clueless. It's like, well, how do, I, how do I get to cloud? What's the first thing I need to do? Um, and that's what Cognizant brought to table for us. Um, so we engaged with, with Cognizant, and uh, we used uh, Cognizant Cloud Steps that I think we'll talk about a little more um, to um, come up with what we need to do in order to kind of have a lift and shift strategy to move us into AWS. Um, so we first built a non-PHI environment. So everybody here knows what PHI is, right? Uh, so protected health information is what PHI is, and that's what's so valuable, and we don't want to make sure it, 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 it's breached at any time. So uh, one of the first things we did, we first created a non-PHI environment, which means it's an environment that was still, it still had security, but it didn't have all the audits and the logging that you would expect from a PHI environment. Um, and we use that to create a common infrastructure. Um, and then in Q2, Q3, Q4, the, the, the following three quarters in 2015, uh, we set out to create the PHI environment, and we started migrating our um, you know, on-premise um, servers onto the cloud. Um, so this is where we learned some of the things that, that interesting. Like one of the you know, uh, most important thing is performance, right? Um, you know, on-premise uh, servers had been running for many, many months. They'd been tweaked. They, they run well, and, you know, everybody expects them to do, to do well. And when we actually move into the cloud, it's, you know, it was fully expected that we, we had some performance issue. But it turned out it wasn't AWS. It was because we had to do the same amount of tweaking on AWS. And that took some effort um, on our part. And, in fact, um, an interesting thing about, is that, about that is that the actually run much faster now than our, our, our old on-premise environment. In fact, just, just literally just yesterday I had a change request come through because they, you know, one of our folks wanted to delay one of our nightly processes because the ones before it ran too fast and it would have been in the middle of the day if it had to get started. So, which is good. That would have never happened in our on-premise environment. Um, and then in Q1, we put together the development infrastructure and this is where we took advantage of um, workspaces that, that uh, AWS offers, and that's actually quite important for us. Um, because, you know, in the past, if you are a healthcare organization, all the laptops you issue, it has to be encrypted. You have to keep track of it. If the laptop ever gets lost, you have to report it. Um, and you don't know if it had any PHI on it. If, it, if you were not sure, you still have to report it. All of that stuff. With workspaces, we don't do that anymore. With workspaces, everybody works on workspaces. They all have laptops. They're still encrypted. But I don't care if they get lost. Everything is on the workspace, and they all work up there. And I don't have to worry about any of my IP getting lost. All of that is up there as well. So we use workspaces, and we, this is how we set, set up the development infrastructure. All of our developers develop only on workspaces. Uh, and they can use any remote device uh, they want to. Um, their laptops, our laptop, or anything else. Um, and then in Q2, um, we started looking into the, uh, the automation. Uh, we're still, you know, quite a way away from automation, but we automated, with the help of our, our partners again, um, automated the provisioning process as we come up with new servers. Um, so that was, that was quite important in 2016. And finally, 
in Q3 of this year, we did go live on AWS, and all of our customers, all of our processes, everything is on AWS. And I would say at this point, we are done with migration. We are in our um, optimization phase now, as it's referred to. And I always tell my team um, three things. Now, from here on, for the next six months, whatever we do, we need to stabilize, automate, and control. And, um, and that's, our, that's, that's our strategy for optimization. And I think we're doing that now. Um, and I'm hopeful that within the next three to six months, we get through all the optimization steps that we have set out. Okay, so uh, some of the stuff in, the, uh, in, the, in our environment, what we're using, uh, I mean, obviously you guys know a lot of these. The, the ones that I really want to point out um, are, you know, you may be interested, our databases, for instance, we use a vertical cluster. Um, we have a small uh, number of servers on Microsoft SQL. Uh, and, uh, and a couple of Postgres. And we're, you know, as part of our optimization, we're looking into all of these and say, can we optimize any of these in, in what, in some of the technologies that Amazon offers? For instance, Vertica, um, we have, uh, you know, we're looking at Redshift very closely because uh, they, they, it's just, it turns out Vertica is just too costly uh, sometimes because you pay by the size of the data. Um, and we use S3. Um, uh, religiously for everything because of the fact that it's encrypted uh, and the KMS works very well. So as data comes in, if it comes in, if it doesn't come in through our integration engine, it, it goes straight into S3 and then it gets picked up from S3 for processing. So uh, we feel comfortable using that for um, almost all of our data that comes in. And it's also, in a way, it's a source of truth for us. Once we receive the data and we process it, we still maintain it on S3 because if you have to ever go back to that data to prove something, that's where we, we archive everything for now. Um, so we also have, uh, again, um, we use, for instance, Mirth for our integration engine. Um, if you've been in healthcare, you probably know who they are. Um, and uh, we have a Mirth appliance in AWS, which is also very good because, you know, if we went to a, a cloud vendor and they couldn't support uh, that, we, wouldn't, we probably wouldn't go. Um, so that's that's also very interesting. So that, that that tells you about you know how many vendors um, do support AWS, and that's very important to us. And we use SFTP for our incoming data, for um, all of the data uh, to to satisfy our um, encryption and transit for the data. And and of course we have Tableau running. Uh, all of these are running inside of, and I'm sure you guys are interested about this. All of these run inside of our PHI environment. And our PHI environment is completely enclosed. Um, we, uh, you can only use workspaces to get in, to look at anything. You can't ever take stuff out. If you do, we keep track of it. We have logs of everything so we know what happened. Quite often we do um, penetration testing um, from outside. We, we have vendors that do that for us. Um, and as it turns out, just you know, we're not to the lessons learned slide yet, but I'll, I'll give you this. Um, you know, it turns out most of the HIPAA violation is not related to security violation. It's not related to somebody breaking in and taking stuff. Um, it's, it's human related. Um, I had a couple of my developers, of all people developers, fell, you know, they, they essentially fell for the phishing attack that the 
when they went through the penetration, one of the things that the penetration testing we do is phishing attack. We just simulate that attack and send it to everyone and see who falls for it. And we actually had a couple of developers that fell for it, and they gave away the farm. I mean, they just gave away everything. They gave their corporate password. They gave everything. I mean, it was, I looked at it. I was like, I can't believe this. And a couple of them hadn't even changed the original password, the, the initial password they get from corporate. It's like, okay, you didn't even, but anyway. So uh, we had to make some changes and do some additional training there for some of the folks. So some more about the, the solution. Um, again, as I said, we use Amazon Workspace. And, you know, I talked about that uh, with a lot of people. Um, it, you know, as we started using Amazon Workspaces, we're finding new usage patterns with, uh, with, with Workspaces. And, um, for instance, if I... Um, if someone needs access to the PHI environment, um, I, we just provision a new PHI workspace for them and let them use that because we know that's kind of ironclad. They can't take anything off, and they're in PHI environment. They can't put anything on their laptop. And that's how we maintain security. That And, and then when they're done, we, we're done with that workspace, and we get rid of it. Um, and another nice thing about that is that, you know, the current workspaces, I think it supports up to 8, eight gig, and, um, you know, our data scientists need more than that. And... Uh, and it's good to know that, you know, AWS folks at AWS listen, were listening to us. And, in fact, I had a conversation with a couple of folks earlier this week. Um, you know, they, um, they took our suggestion, and, they, and, and my understanding is that they'll have um, uh, workspaces that cater to data scientists where they need uh, machines with higher number of cores, with more, uh, more memory and all that. So, and that's um, kudos to AWS for that. Um, we use SVN for code repository. Again, um, all of these is in a PHI environment. That you know, we had essentially two two environment we created: PHI and non-PHI. SVN is also in PHI environment. We are going to something else besides SVN, so don't laugh at us. We'll, the only reason we're staying with SVN right now is because we have some processes in SAS, and SAS only supports SVN. But eventually, we're going to go to um, AWS's offering, which is Git compatible and um, works best for us. Um, and now, lastly on this slide, the logging thing is quite important for us. And we use Splunk for, for, um, for most of our logging, and uh, we use um, Cognizance Cloud 360 platform um, to do the monitoring, um, and, the, um, and then we have some asset management. So we use AWS tags for that. So... What are some of the best practices here? I think um, I think it was a good idea for us to actually create two environments, separate PHI with non-PHI environment, because it's still in our organization, we have a lot of people who um, they just don't need to be on PHI environment, even if the environment is secure. So we kind of um, reduce some risks there by doing that. Um, the other thing is we are taking on a fairly large project to de-identify all of our data. When we do that, I suspect we'll have more people on non-PHI environment than PHI. So that's one way we're reducing our risk, by de-identifying almost all the data we need um, for development and put it in the non-PHI environment. And that's a, um, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about that. It's a fairly uh, rigorous process, and we use what's called the expert method of de-identification because it, uh, it allows the data to maintain its analytic value while it remains um, uh, de-identified. So there is no breach if, the, if that data is ever uh, accessed or stolen or, or something like that. Um, 
we use, again, workspaces religiously for everything. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine uh, having being in a PHI environment and allowing individual laptops access to that. So if you plan to um, be in the cloud and have a HIPAA compliant environment in, in the cloud, I suggest using workspaces um, for that. And I wouldn't, um, I would stay away from having laptops um, directly access to PHI environment because there's always a chance of things coming down to the laptop. Um, and of course, we take advantage of the VPC peering and all that stuff, but I think almost everybody here probably knows that. Um, and we take advantage of um, CloudFormation templates to speed up our provisioning. Again, that's with the help of our Cognizant partners. They were um, uh, greatly beneficial there, and they helped us um, automate all of those processes for uh, creating. So I'm going to uh, let Raja take care of from here. So our objective uh, in any cloud migration journey is uh, how do we simplify? Because there are a lot of starters, you know, who wants to, you know, who are planning to move to cloud. And in the process, there is always, you know, fear of unknown exists, right? So with our journey, if you, if you look at, I think, you know, we started interacting with, uh, uh, with Genia, you know, in early 2014. Okay, so we brought in the Cloud Steps framework. Cloud Steps is a enterprise transformation framework that will help workloads, applications, cards, everything to be migrated into cloud in a seamless way, faster, cheaper, non-intrusive, etc. So, so Cloud Steps played a critical role. We talk. I, I just want to spend some more time on the Cloud Steps in a little bit. Right? It Cloud Steps does have some blueprints and reference architectures. There are certain uh, best practices, you know, which some reusable frameworks, which we, which is part of the cloud steps. And with that cloud steps, we started with the proof of concept. I think that is where our AWS friends also helped us, uh, you know, in creating a proof of concept and then started creating the security fabric as, uh, as uh, Fred was mentioning, you know, build the PHA and the non-PHA envi environments we started building. And we have two tasks. One is to migrate the Theon platform, the, all the, the care you know, provider platform, everything into the cloud. The second one is the workspace. So workspace also, I think, parallelly, our team started, you know, just, you know, working with, uh, with the Genia team and then started implementing the workspace. Now, we went live um, in uh, Q3 of uh, 2016. Okay, I think it's a, it's a, it's a one-year one year journey. And now, to, today, now we are, in, if, we, if we want to call, we are in a, what do you say, operate phase where the entire cloud, the, the Theon platform is getting monitored using our cloud 360 platform, which is uh, bond, I mean, which is made for the cloud. It's a, uh, it's a cloud lifecycle management. I know it, it monitors, it manages, it provisions, and it orchestrates, you know, all those features are there. And now today we are getting into the phase two, which is optimizing the platform. I think that is very critical. I think uh, once you move your workloads uh, onto the cloud, how are you going to optimize it? I mean, just management is not going to help. You got to optimize. That is where all your automation kicks in. Uh, you know, like things like you know, uh, like uh, like in one of the slides, uh, Fred was mentioning about Chef. How do we take Chef and just you know integrate into that? And how do we build DR? You know, disaster recovery. Do you want to build a DR in a simpler manner? Uh, you know, by having a, a AWS Lambda type of a provisioning, or build a, build a separate in separate region create the, you know, high availability architecture. So we played across, you know, right from, from conceptualization 
to, to, to the state where we are today at this point of time. So, now, the thing that simplified this entire journey, it is the cloud steps. I think we have, we have used this cloud steps methodology for 125 plus customers. We have migrated several workloads. We have migrated several courts, um, courts application. So it is a five-stage process. That is what you know differentiates cognizance from the from the rest of the provider. It starts with an envision phase. That is where you know we how do we take the business and the IT goals are just aligned. That is where the envisioning strategy. Then we do a cloud suitability. You know we take we take the applications. You know 100 applications, 400 applications. Do a cloud suitability analysis and create a matrix and give give a score based on small, medium, complex type of application. What can move to cloud? What the, the customer can retire, you know, and how, and uh, in the process, if any of the application can be re-architected and create on a, you know, uh, day one digital native or cloud native, all those recommendations will be part of the, you know, the assessment plan. Then the actual design setup happens, um, uh, you know, where we create the foundation uh, with, uh, uh, at this point of time, we also use another, I mean, intellectual property, which from Cognizant is called Cloud Trust. Okay, cloud trust will be used to ensure that if it's a regulated industry, you know, whatever the, the PHI controls or HIPAA controls, all those things gets applied there. And then the actual migration and the transition happens, which is the fourth phase. And now today, and then the last phase is the, the, the run and operate. I think uh, that is where I think we are, the, we are today. But if you look at the blueprints, so, I mean, it's not just a slide where. I think the... Um, if you look at the intelligence behind the cloud steps is the blueprints it has for whether it is a, a you know a data center modernization whether you wanted to consolidate multiple data data centers into a few data centers or it is an app platform modernization or it could be a cost transformation sap or oracle you know those type of applications and digital solutions so for across these four cuts there are some reference architectures and blueprints available that will help you know, the faster time to implement. And it also has some tools, because when you, when you get into the third phase, that is where, I mean, fourth phase, that is where you need all the migration tools. So it has, a, a, what do you say, a lockout of tools, which we can use depending upon the, the environment. And so it has, uh, all, all these tools were made for the cloud, okay? There are certain tools which our own intellectual property, for example, the Cloud 360 platform is created by Cognizant. We also use some third-party tools, you know, in the process like RaceMe and things like that. And while this move, this, I mean, this entire exercise is moving to the public cloud, but this cloud steps was created for hybrid cloud. Whether it's an on-prem, on-prem, off-prem combination, or just even to, you know, just to do an on-prem or just a pure on-prem also, this cloud steps will be followed. I think we, we followed this cloud steps. In the process, we also had some, uh, you know, some challenges. Uh, uh, I mean, the team had some challenges um, because the existing uh, the Theon platform was hosted in a co-location. So there were some like hostility, hostility exists, like, you know, uh, non-cooperation from the incumbent, we had that. Then one more issue was uh, when the, I think Vertica was the database, I think when we are trying to migrate the Vertica. Um, so we had some issues like, you know, uh, because some non-performance, I think it caused. So our team simulated uh, for different uh, compute, you know, CPU memory combinations, and finally, I think we boosted up, boosted the, the 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 compute platform and just you know, we made it uh, you know going live. So I've talked about cloud steps. I think uh, maybe I would like to have your span of attentions to take a look at a small video what cloud step actually does, and 
you know, seeing is believing. So, in the digital era, in the organizations digital stay, era, relevant stay relevant by embracing cloud technology. However, moving However, to and being on the cloud and comes with its own set of challenges, such as precise planning, risk mitigation, and cost management. Cognizant understands these concerns and simplifies the migration process. Cloud Steps is a transformation framework that enables an agile, secure, hassle-free transformation with minimal intrusion and Maximum automation. maximum automation. This guided transformation, this guided transformation is, powered is powered by various accelerators. Pre-built solution blueprints and patterns, migration tools and factory models, performance dashboards and governance framework, and integrated change management. CloudSteps uses a five-step approach to in an end-to-end transition from your organization's existing environment to a cloud ecosystem. Working with key client stakeholders, Cognizant devises a strategy for the best business outcome. Key steps include understanding the business Viability, determining a target state, and generating a cloud readiness report to make a clean transition. Cognizant analyzes all relevant IT workloads to determine what can move to cloud and develops detailed plans showing the roadmap for the movement. Next, Cognizant readies the target ecosystem for the workload migration. This critical step includes setting up network, security, and governance foundation for the hybrid cloud. Steps uses automated tools and practices to migrate the workloads onto the target cloud and then validates the migrated state to be conformant. Several migration options are available to accommodate multiple constraints. Finally, Cognizant moves the workloads into business-as-usual mode through our Cloud 360 Cloud Service Lifecycle Management Platform and completes a seamless handover. Cognizant's CloudSteps transformation framework provides an end-to-end -end solution, end solution to help your organization, your organization leverage the cloud successfully the cloud and stay competitive. And stay competitive. And stay competitive. And stay competitive. So that's that's the cloud steps uh, which uh, played a critical role uh, for GDA. Now I'll give it to Fred to thank you conclude uh, thank you the rest of the presentation. Okay, so. Um, so when we, we set out to actually go into the cloud and we started looking for, for partners, I think um, Cognizant stood out because of their, uh, you know, past experiences was important. Uh, the tooling that they brought in was important. And in addition to that, they, they, the healthcare domain experience was very important because we don't take um, creating a HIPAA compliant environment likely. And there's still a lot of organizations feel like it's not possible, but we've proven that it can be done with the right tools and the right partners. So um, the, uh, and the, the important thing, as you saw, for instance, example of CloudStape, they, they, they brought in the tooling that we needed um, ahead of time at the beginning so we could understand what we need to do in order to get um, to AWS. Um, and all the cost savings that you see down there is I've already talked about um, in another slide. But here's the, Here's another thing that every slide deck should have, which is a money slide. So I suppose this is the this is the money slide here. Um, so what did we learn about all of this? Um, uh, 
we, we learned that, you know, whatever environment you go to, you, you, you will need a, a, an environment where there is a large partner ecosystem and a, a huge list of licensing requirements. Because I think if you think you're going to lift and shift exactly the way things are, you're probably mistaken. It's not going to happen. Um, there will be changes. That, and you, you want to go somewhere where there is, um, you know, there is a, a variety of options for you. Um, and I'm going to go to the bottom. And when you're doing HIPAA compliant, one of the things that everybody's going to complain about is the compliance folks. They say, "Well, I don't know. Is it, can it do that? Can it do that?" And it was, you know, for a while you start thinking about this is like it's becoming like a ragu spaghetti sauce. You guys remember that commercial? Is it? Does it have this? Yeah, it's in there. Is it have? Yeah. So that would be our reply to the compliance folks. Does it do this? Yes, it's in there. Yes, it's in there. So, um, but it's important to. Um, get them involved early on because um, last thing you want is six months down the road for them to come in and say, but you forgot to do this. Um, um, and of course, the separation of PHI and non-PHI, that's very important. Um, you know, we, even though we have a PHI environment, and we have to because that's where our applications live and run, we want to have a non-PHI environment so that I, I'm going to try to migrate most of our users to that non-PHI environment by creating a good de-identified data set. Because um, that's you know reduces our risk and it's cheaper to run and I can sleep better at night knowing that m you know most people are in a non-PHI environment. Um, so and for that you need good de-identified data. Keep that in mind. And then the um, we have a lot of remote work uh, workers um, offshore, onshore uh, that work from home. Having a remote desktop option in a PHI environment in a, in a HIPAA environment is very important. You don't want someone in Chicago uh, where your office is in Harrisburg have a laptop that, that has access to PHI and you don't know what they're doing at home. Um, so it's best to, to um, ad, you know, adopt a policy for all the work in PHI environment to be done via a, a, a kind of a um, RDP or workspace. Um, and of course, one of the things is we need to, you need to evaluate and leverage AWS native services. We haven't done a very good job with that, I have to tell you that. That's because we've been up to, recently we've been in the migration mode. Now that we're in an optimization mode, we're actually evaluating all of our services and say where can we um, uh, achieve cost efficiencies um, uh, by going into, uh, you taking advantage of AWS native services like Lambda, like Redshift, um, like Aurora, and things like that. Um, so that's very important. Just keep that in mind. You may not be able to do it during migration, but certainly think about it when you get into the optimization phase of your move. Um, so what's next for us? Um, so I'm going to go start from the bottom. Um, we're thinking about, you know, uh, saying what, what, are the, what tools are available in AWS that we can use today to achieve our analytic goals um, uh, again, do it faster, better, cheaper, and we're currently looking at Amazon Redshift and EMR. Um, one of the things we did recently, we had a, uh, uh, a contract with a, one of the major um, Hadoop distributors, and, uh, um, and we decided to stop that because I, you know, I felt, you know, we could use EMR, and EMR was actually fairly up-to-date with the, the latest uh, versions, and I particularly was looking for, or my team was looking for, Spark 2.0, and I you know, was surprised to see that that was available fairly quickly. So um, from a cost point of view, it was a little, it's a lot cheaper for us to just use EMR. 
and not have to pay that hefty yearly license fee for support um, with one of those Hadoop vendors. And we're also uh, obviously looking at uh, Amazon Redshift uh, as a replacement for Vertica. But there are many examples of that. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, and that's what we're going to do for the next three to six months. We're going to try to figure out which one of those technologies we can use. And, of course, continuous integration and deployment is important to us. We're clearly not there, um, but we're working towards that, um, and we want to be there. And this is the next step in our, in our evolution, is to get to a point where we can um, deploy the way cloud companies deploy. And that, you know, um, one of the things that I... Um, I didn't mention uh, was that you know it's not just about lift and shift. Um, you know your applications need to be also SaaS ready, um, and we you know that was some of the things that we had to do in order for us to move to AWS. Uh, we had to make some changes so that we could be truly multi-tenant because when the application was first developed, it wasn't developed with the with the cloud in mind. Um, so now when it comes to deployment, we want to get into the practice of you know, uh, cloud deployment patterns and continuous integration and continuous deployment. And um, open up our platform. Now that we're in the cloud, you know, we can open up our uh, platform to third-party vendors and publish the API and take advantage of the tooling that are available in AWS to publish our API to outside world and not have to worry about scalability issues. In our um, on-premise, we, would um, we wouldn't have been able to do that because there would have been scalability issues. So that's what we have um, in front of us. Thank you very much for coming. Um, I'll open it up for Q&A now if there are any questions. Thank you.